Well, it is fantastic to be with you this morning. It's a, a great blessing. We um, enjoyed swimming our way up here. It was a, tr- a delightful swim. Uh, we particularly just want to thank Greg and Helen and honour both of them for just an incredible journey of faith here in Grafton for all the years that we've known them their their heart for people has never slowed down it just it's like Greg's heart for people is running at 200 beats per minute all the time and Helen as well and so it's just a delight to to be with you today and to know that Greg and Helen have been pastoring and leading and caring so much for each and every one of you the people joining online that are part of Riverside here as well it's just a real honour to be able to join with you and have this time together. And we look forward to what is coming in the future as well. It's going to be an exciting season ahead. So thanks for having us. And um, I look forward now too to jumping into the, the Word of God. But before we do, for those that are coming down tonight, that's going to be a great opportunity as well to share a meal together. And then, as Greg mentioned as well on the 13th, that uh, the transition service at 5 p.m., we're going to be up here for that. And we're just really excited to celebrate all that has happened here in Riverside Church to celebrate Greg and Helen and to show appreciation for them. Um, it's just going to be a really significant kind of moment. And so I'm really excited about that too. Looking forward to it. So as we jump into the word this morning, we're going to uh, cover a passage in James chapter 2. But before we get there, I, I just want to share a little experience that I've had. You might remember this thing we used to do called international travel. Does anyone remember that? When that was a thing? It was some time ago. uh, (laughs) And it appears to be starting to happen again and opening up a little bit. Um, But international travel, I had a a few trips, well, Car and I, quite a number of trips over to uh, Southeast Asia and different places and some mission trips to India, all sorts of things like that. And one of the things I loved about hopping on the plane in Sydney, which is where we'd normally fly out from, and, uh, and taking off is that we'd, we'd start to fly over the middle of Australia. And on a daytime flight, we'd, you'll have to excuse Elijah, he's very excited to be here. This is, this is life with children, by the way, that um, it, there's always something happening, even in the middle of a message. But bear with me. As we, as we fly out, I always love once we're a couple of hours into a flight, getting over there to a window, finding a window, whether it be where I'm seated or going for a walk through the plane and you find the big exit door, uh, don't push too hard on that, but there's a window there and I love looking out over, from, through that window and seeing what is out there, just seeing this country, this incredible country that is Australia as we fly over the top of it. And as we look down, there is this vast, vast nothing absolutely nothing there I'll just let Lige calm down excuse me for a moment we bring a circus it's how it is in our household who who has uh, it's been more than five years since you had kids living in the home with you so just welcome back welcome back okay I feel okay but I know it's just a uh, it's a journey journey back for all of you so looking down at this vast expanse of nothing but at the same time, you're looking down over the desert and, you know, there's a little bit of vegetation, there's not much going on there. And then, but you might see this track. Maybe there's a track in the ground. And you think, what is the purpose of that track? Why is, 
like there's nothing for miles. You're looking from 10 kilometres up, but there's a straight line going through the desert. You think, well, somebody put that thing there. It must be there for a reason, right? Like, what is going on on the ground in the middle of absolutely nowhere? And you, has anyone else had this thought when you're flying and you're looking over central Australia? And it's incredible, but yet so vast of just nothingness. Well, a few years ago, just a couple of years ago, we finally made a trip into central Australia. And I thought, this is fantastic. It's a chance to actually see what, like to get down from 10 kilometres in the sky to on the ground, what is there, you know, what's around. And we went up through and visited Uluru and a lot of those places. But there's a lot more than just Uluru in the centre of Australia. I'm sure some of you have had great adventures travelling through at different times. And we discovered all these incredible places. One of them was this place called Devil's Marbles, which just blew us away. It's kind of these big boulders situated in the middle of open plain desert. And it's kind of like God and Jesus were busy playing marbles one day. It's not intended as a theological statement, by the way. But they, it's like, it's just incredible. And to watch the sunset there and the way the light just captures that place and the vastness it's it's really quite amazing and totally different once you're down at that on the ground level well this passage in James is somewhat like that for me where we read it and I'm sure most of you will be familiar with it once we start reading it but we think well there we can see there's there's something there but there must be something more there must be more that we can dig into or discover it's kind of like oh I can I can see something, but I know there's more to be discovered or explored as we dive into it. And so that's where we're going to dive in this morning. We're going to read from James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. So if you do have a New Living Translation, that's what we're going to read out of. Otherwise, just enjoy as James expounds a thought here for us. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say, have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, Others have good deeds. But I say to you, this is James speaking, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. And James is getting borderline condescending here in the way he's writing this. You say uh, you have faith because you believe. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish, can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scripture says, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. And Rahab the prostitute, this is just verse 25, nearly at the end of this passage, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown 
to be right with God by her actions. When she did hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Now, I've always looked at this passage thinking there's more there. There's more than just belief and good works to be discovered in what James is talking about. There's more that we can unfold. And so I've titled this, When Faith is More Than Belief. When Faith is More Than Belief. So we're going to go on a bit of a journey. And we're going to go from this place of belief, which James talks about there, through to this place that was described as Abraham's situation and Rahab's situation, where their good deeds, their good works, brought completion, if you like, to their faith. But we're going to journey through that together for a few moments. So we start with belief. Nearly everyone here would have heard the famous verse of John 3.16. God so loved the world that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. That's an incredible verse and one that we know to be true. But then James here, what does James say? You say you have faith for you believe and there's one God. Good for you, he says, about belief. It's almost like there's a contradiction going on. There's almost like this tension. I don't know if you feel the tension. I feel the tension when I read that. And I think, what is going on here? There's belief and, yeah, we know that's important. But James is kind of saying, yeah, but there's so much more than belief. Well, there's something different. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. So believing, there must be more than merely accepting the facts of what's going on. If we said belief is just to accept some facts as being true, well, I think James is saying there's so much more than just that. Even the demons will believe that, and to what benefit is it to them? They're trembling in fear, and they're not walking in the path of righteousness. So, so we're going to go, what goes beyond that acceptance of fact? What, what is it that moves past there? Well, Jesus had something to say that really connected to belief but took it a step further in mark 1:15, the time this is jesus speaking the time promised by god has come at last he announced the kingdom of god is near repent of your sins and believe the good news so jesus is connecting two concepts two elements together he's taking belief but he's not leaving belief alone he's bringing alongside it this concept of repentance Now, repentance is so much more than just saying you're sorry. As a child, I thought that's all you had to do. You could do whatever you liked. You could be as naughty as you wanted to be, as long as you just said sorry and you'd be fine, right? It wasn't how my father's discipline responded. He didn't have the same view. Uh, And fortunately for me, I think, but repentance is a lot more than just saying sorry. In fact, repentance is much more about our direction than it is about our words. Repentance is much more saying okay, I'm humbly surrendering my direction and I'm going to turn and go in your direction, Lord. I'm changing direction. Repentance is actually more a U-turn than it is anything else. To repent from our sins is is in fact to go, well, I'm, I'm surrendering that, my selfish desire or my personal will, and I'm saying, Lord, instead of me being the Lord of my life, I'm going to change direction. I'm going to start going in your way, Lord. I'm going to go in your direction. And so this concept of, res- of repentance is this humility within ourselves to go, okay, not my way, but God's way. I'm going to go in that direction. Jesus joined these things together. But then uh, we go on further, and John wrote this statement. 
But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 1.7, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So as we turn and take this step of repentance, as we humble ourselves into that place of changing direction, then we have an assurance. We have this assurance of forgiveness. It's something that we can go to the bank on, that we know we don't earn it by changing direction. There's nothing we can do to pay for God's forgiveness. That price has already been paid. We can't do anything to get more grace from God or to get more mercy from God. But what we can do as we believe and then as we change direction, the word of God implores us that we are 100% guaranteed of his forgiveness. His forgiveness flows to us. And so it's like our faith begins to be made up of some of these elements. Now, faith is this multifaceted diamond. It's got so many aspects to it. There's hope, there's trust, there's belief, there's repentance, there's uh, assurance, there's forgiveness, there's mercy, there's grace. All of these things are part of faith and we're not going to try and exclude those other elements. But part and central to faith is this experience of you not only believing, but changing direction and receiving the grace and the mercy of God into your life. Not something you can earn, not something you can improve on, but something you receive merely by that change of direction. So we come back to James in, uh, in verse 18. At the end of verse 18, he says, But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And James goes on and he gave two examples. He gave the example of Abraham and he gave the example of Rahab. Well, when he was talking about Abraham, he said, we are shown to be right with God by what we do. And Rahab, she was shown to be right with God by her actions. They were both shown to be right, not made to be right by God, by their actions. Their good works, which were counted toward them as part of their faith, their good works didn't make them any more right with God. They didn't change their standing with God. They merely demonstrated their standing with God. If you think about faith a little bit like a volcano, you got under the surface, there's all this molten lava bubbling around. It's kind of like that bubbling around is, is a mixture of our belief. It's a mixture of our repentance. It's a mixture of our receiving of God's grace and mercy into our lives. All these things are going on like in the, in the soul of a human being, in my soul, in your soul. They're, they're bubbling around. And as we continue to grow in our belief, as we continue to walk in God's direction, as we continue to grow in revelation of mercy and grace and forgiveness, it's kind of like there's, there's all this activity under the surface. There's all this stuff going on in our souls, in our hearts. And the person next to you can't necessarily see that. They don't know all that's happening. We know God knows what's going on. But beyond your own soul, others don't know what's going on. But what James is describing here is as that all is interacting together, as that, that molten lava of the ingredients of faith are interacting together in your soul, they're just waiting to break through like a volcanic eruption of good works. They're waiting to come exploding out of your life as incredible works of goodness that, that flow as a fruit of what's happening on the inside of you. 
your good works aren't going to get you any closer, obviously. You know that, I know that. They're not going to make you stand differently before God, but they're waiting to bubble over and explode out of your life. Now, we know, Riverside Church, you are a generous church. You're generous toward others, and you're generous in good works. You're generous in good deeds. And I would go so far as to say, I think the community of Grafton knows Riverside Church more for their generosity and their good deeds than for anything else. And that's a good thing. And in a moment, we're going to see just how good that is. But there's a couple of, there's a couple of things that we can really put into place in our own lives as we just dive into these, last, these couple of examples that James gave. There's some keys in there for us. He gave two examples, didn't he? Abraham and Rahab as having that overflowing of good works and overflowing of good deeds. Well, if we look at Abraham's example, we learn this. If you mess up God's plan with your own plan, God doesn't throw in the towel on you. God is still there. Think about Abraham's journey. He was promised descendants as many as the stars. That was the promise he received. And then he went away from that and thought, well, that's not going to happen. Sarah thought, that's not going to happen. My womb is dead. It's all over. Sarah was his wife. And so Sarah said, well, here's Hagar, my servant. Why don't you take her? So Abraham did a deed. It wasn't what we'd call good deeds, but he did a deed and something happened. They had a child, but it it wasn't God's plan for how it was going to happen. It it wasn't God's idea. That was just their own, okay, let me see if I can make this happen. You know, God promised I, I can do kind of thing. And so he went his own way. And I wonder if there's even people that might be here in this room and you feel like, I've kind of taken God's plan into my hands rather than letting them rest in God's hands. And I know in my life I've done that. And I'm sure most of us, if we're not in that place at the moment, have at different times. We try and make it happen. uh, But really it's not resting in God's plan. It's making his plan something we have to strive for. But you know what? God didn't leave him there. 13 years later... So it's a fair while. God reaffirmed his promise to Abraham with a fresh covenant. And one year later, Isaac was born and that that promise was brought to fruition. So if we mess up God's plan, he doesn't throw in the towel for us. Here's a way back for you and I. Because of his grace, he's there for us. So we remember that. Secondly, good deeds, that, uh, that fruit of faith, they take time. Now, James made, drew on two statements about Abraham here that are really interesting. There's this timeline I want you to understand. It, James, so from this point in time, uh, James says this, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. So that's a point in time when that statement was made in the Old Testament. Then um, James referred to another statement. James also said, Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. So we've got this point in time where Abraham was counted as righteous by God, declared to be righteous by God. And then James is saying his good works that flowed out of his righteousness and out of his faith that brought completion to his faith, that was when he went and willingly went to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. Now, there's a timeline there. We read it in one passage in James and think, yeah, yeah, Abraham, righteous, good works, man of action. Uh Uh-uh. That timeline was somewhere between 17 and 30 years. Before his good works that James referred to were there demonstrating and bringing that completion to his faith, there's a 17-year timeline. That tells us that we know that God is stirring in our hearts and in the hearts of those around us, but it takes time. 
It takes a lot of time before that eruption of good works begins to really flow. Like, sure, we might see something cracking through the surface early, but we need to extend grace to others as well as to ourselves as we realise that there is time as people discover and grow in faith before that begins showing incredible good works and this fruitfulness that's referred to in Abraham's life. It takes time. And what about Rahab? I love Rahab's example. There's a couple of reasons that I love Rahab's example. Number one, she did not get a booming voice from heaven to spur her into action. There's no booming voice from heaven for Rahab. We don't hear of any encounter between Rahab and God or Rahab and an angel. She didn't have that experience. That's not her experience. But she did have belief. And so she was this amazing lady who, who didn't wait for God to show her this is exactly step by step what you need to do. She, she didn't go, well, you know, I, I need to hear directly from God. She had a conviction in her heart about what was good. And she followed her conviction about what is good. And that conviction you have and I have, God gives that to us. So that's one thing I love about Rahab. And here's something else about Rahab. She sent away the Canaanites. That were her people. When the Canaanites came looking for the spies that she was hiding, she told a good old furphy. She said, you know what's going on here? They've gone out. They left the gate. They've gone somewhere. I don't know where they've gone. Meanwhile, she's hiding them. So Rahab was a lying prostitute. Let us sink in for a moment. Rahab, she wouldn't live up to many standards that we might try and put on people. She wouldn't. Now, we're not giving license for sin. That's not the purpose of this. But let's examine. In the same time, she was shown to be right with God. That can just disturb our understanding of grace sometimes, can't it? She was not perfect. You and I do not have to be perfect to produce the good works that God wants to produce out of our lives. Perfection is not a prerequisite. It wasn't in Rahab, yet it was shown to bring completion to her faith. It showed her faith to the broader community around her. It's amazing. Our our faith-based good works, the things that generate, can come from just doing the right thing. That's what Rahab was doing. She was just, she knew God is sovereign and I'm going to do what honours God rather than the Canaanites. I'm going to do what I think is the right thing to do. You know, Jesus really reinforced this so strongly. There's, there's a ton of passages where he did, but just one. Matthew 25, reading from verse 34, Jesus said, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Oh, so practical. Oh, so practical. Not necessarily things that are led by a booming voice from heaven, just a conviction of we need to look after people. We need to help some people. I've, I've got this. I've received grace. I'm, I've been blessed by God in an undeserved way. I need to help people. I've got to do something for people. James even said it just a little before the passage we're reading in James 1.27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. The good works that we do can flow out of a simple conviction of our faith where we've believed in God and we know his reality. We've humbled ourselves to go, 
okay, God, I'm going to surrender my own way to you and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to start going your way. And that, that is a daily process that we do. And in the doing of that, we've experienced grace and forgiveness that is beyond what we can experience from any person or other human interaction. From that place, we get a sense of what is right and we just can go and do it as an outflowing of our faith. So I'm just going to close with this one thought this one passage and I think this encourages us on a a mission Sunday a Sunday when we focus our energy as well beyond the walls of the church building when we're thinking about what's happening in the community what's happening overseas what's happening beyond our immediate or daily life um, this verse really rings for me Matthew Jesus speaking in Matthew 5 verse 16 in the same way let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let your good deeds, let your good works, let them shine out. Now, when I read that, I thought, does that mean I'm meant to be a show-off? And no is the obvious answer, right? It's a rhetorical question. You know that knows the answer. But, But what's it really mean? Well, this is how it works. If we've humbled ourselves before God in a repentant state and we've come to a place of realising that the grace and the forgiveness we've received we do not deserve, then as we have an outflowing of good works, we don't have an interest in getting the personal credit. Our concern for credit is like, well, I didn't deserve anything, yet here I am because of the love and the grace of God so far beyond any measure that I could ever attain to. So if I go and help someone, the the publicity for that the glory for that that's going to go to god that's going to go to him it's actually going to point people to this incredible love that i first received and people are going to see that as i demonstrate it so i'm not going to necessarily hide all the good things i do so just make sure no one sees any good coming out of me i i couldn't i'm actually hoping people see good coming out of me because i know all the good in me didn't come from me in the first place it's not my goodness coming out of me it's his goodness and i've received his goodness in a totally undeserved totally unmerited fashion i did nothing to earn it i can't improve on it i can't make it any better it's only through jesus christ that i have goodness in me and because he's put some goodness in me i'm going to overflow with goodness to others and they're going to realize hey there's a love going on here that that's a bit different there's a love going on here for people that is out of this world it didn't come from this world and as i love on people people are going to see that there's a different there's a different love going on and they're going to point their eyes to jesus they they do already do that and they will continue to do that so i encourage you today what's one thing this week what's an opportunity you might have to let that good work flow out of you It's not going to make you look fantastic or better because you don't need that. But it's just going to give glory to God. Just going to make him famous. Just going to have people realising somebody loves them in a way that they've never been loved before and they're going to discover grace. They're going to discover that something true they can believe in. What opportunity do you have this week to let the good flow out of who you are? Amen? Amen. God bless you.